and you're listening to teaching from Central Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. We hope that this message will help you experience Jesus in a new and exciting way. For more information, please visit us at centralnazarene.org. I thought it would be appropriate to talk about old paths. Old paths. Um, I think all of us uh, with uh, any, any age to us at all recognize that things are not as they used to be. And that is, that's good in one way. I, I really prefer to go to the kitchen sink and turn on the spigot rather than go out in the yard and put down the bucket and draw up some water. You know, there's uh, some old ways that I'm glad that are gone, but there's some old ways that we need to hold on to. And uh, so that this has been the case for the people of God since the beginning of uh, human history. I want to read to you a section out of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Now he's speaking to this, he's speaking, he's speaking these words to the, to the nation of Judah. Israel, the northern kingdom, had already been taken away into captivity. So the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to Judah, and the Lord is telling them, Stand at the crossroads and look, and ask for the ancient paths. That is where the good way is. And walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. But they said, we will not walk in that way. I'm going to read verse 17. I appointed watchmen over you, and you said, listen, for the sound of the ram horn. But they answered, we will not listen. We will not walk that way, and we will not listen. And as you well know, the, the people of Judah were carried away into Babylonian captivity. It's interesting that almost, not always, but in many, many cases, when, uh, when judgment comes, it comes to the people of God. And um, so we really, really need to pay uh, close attention and be aware of what's going on around us and our involvement in the culture and in the world in which we live. The ancient paths, the ancient paths are the ways of the Lord. And it's very easy for us to be caught up in the ways of the culture. And, uh, and oftentimes the ways of the culture are the antithesis or at least militant and in some cases contradictory to the ways of the Lord. So we need to know the way of the Lord and walk in those. And those are contained in the Holy Scriptures. So we need to be people of the book. I thank God for every Sunday school teacher, for every quiz person, for everyone who, who applies themselves to knowing the word of the Lord. The scriptures talk about a time where there is a famine of the word of God. The word of God is, uh, is our lamp and our light. It, it shows us the way to walk in, in the current age in which we live. Michael W. Smith, how many are familiar with that name, Michael W. Smith? a great, great musician, songwriter, and singer, he penned these words, holy words long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Words of life, words of hope, give us strength, help us cope. 
In this world, wherever we roam, the ancient words will guide us home. This is true, whether it's of a home, whether it's of an individual's life, or whether it's the life of the nation. David said in the psalm, Psalm 33 and verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. I would call that the, the popular culture. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the seat of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law, or in his law, the law of the Lord, does he meditate day and night. It is not an easy road. It oftentimes, it oftentimes uh, comes with a cross, but it is a good road nevertheless. It is the way of the Lord, and we need to understand what it is and walk in that way wherever it goes, even if it includes bearing a cross. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross and follow me. So the words I, wrote to, or I, I read to you this morning out of, out of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah is called many times the weeping prophet. And he's called the weeping prophet because he's, he's communicating to the people of Israel the heart of God. And, and he is crying out to them that they will listen to the word of the Lord. Now, God, now this is a sad thing, and I've said this before, and you probably know it full well. When God commissioned Jeremiah to go to the people of Israel, he said, now they're not going to listen to you, but I want you to go and preach anyway. So imagine having that commission. So Isaiah goes, knowing that he's going to preach, and he's probably going to suffer, but he's going to cry out from the heart of God to the people of Judah. And he tells them to turn from their wicked ways. And their wicked ways included things like this. They oppress the poor. They do not attend to the widows. They neglect the fatherless. They, acknowledge, they, they don't acknowledge strangers in their midst. They practice injustices. They worship false god, and they're just mean. You probably didn't think of those things uh, when you just first heard about it. So he, he weeps because, you see, that one of the reasons he weeps, he, one for one, he's in communion and connection with the heart of God. He understands the heart of God, and he's communicating the heart of God to the people. But he weeps for them because he knows they're not going to listen, and he knows that judgment is coming. You ever, I'm sure you've had a, a child, and, well, maybe not. Maybe yours uh, had halos and wings. Uh, you know, not all children have those. I don't know if you, if you know that or not, but not all of them do. And, and you can see the road that they're taking. It's not a good road, and, and your heart cries out for them, and you, you weep for them, and you cry out for them, and you speak to them out of kindness and, and out of love. And, and, and you know that they're probably not going to turn around until, until life reaches up and smacks them. And it breaks your heart. That's the kind of a heart that, I, that Jeremiah brings to Judah. His heart is breaking because he can see the way that they're living. He knows judgment is coming, so he calls out to them that they will turn around. Now, the people think that every, they, they know. The people think they know the way of the Lord. The people think that, they, that everything is going pretty smooth. The people think that everything is fine, but it's not fine. I want to read you some passages of Scripture out of this chapter. This is what it says in verse 16. I will pronounce my judgment on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. That's verse 16. Uh, 
at, at verse 5, this is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Verse 6, they did not ask, where is the Lord? <clears throat> and that's a really good question to ask. And, and I, I just pray that, that you and I will live under a burden and that we will ask of the Lord and we will say among the people, where is the Lord? That there will be a burden that the presence of the Lord would be in our midst and then we'll find ourselves in prayer and before the Lord and before the face of God and in the house of the Lord asking that question. And it says in verse 7, the very next verse, the priest did not even ask, where is the Lord? In verse, uh, verse 11, has a nation ever changed its God who are not even gods at all, but my people have exchanged the glorious God for worthless idols? Verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that, cisterns that cannot hold water. And we, we who have any age to us at all, we have seen this kind of thing take place in our culture. When I, when I grew up, and I'm not that old, When I was in the sixth grade, and I know I've said this before, but when I was in the sixth grade, my, my homeroom teacher had a Bible sitting right there on the desk. He began the classroom with a brief word of prayer. It was just a different time. And uh, it was just, it was a time when, when, when the Christian faith, though obviously it was not lived out in, in perfection. I mean, it's not lived out in perfection today. It's not lived out perfection in your marriage. So why, you know, why would we cast aspersions on things that weren't even weren't, weren't altogether perfect? We know that it wasn't altogether perfect. There were many flaws, but there, there was at least this underlying cultural uh, direction, which was rooted and grounded in, in a Judaic Christian understanding of how life ought to be lived. And even if we didn't live that way, we knew what ought to be, and we were convicted by that, and and and, and we could press on toward the mark, toward the prize of the high calling that's in Jesus. We've understood that from our earliest times we understood that, that we always press forward toward a more perfect union in this land, knowing that it is imperfect, and it will always be imperfect. No matter, no matter who is in power, no matter what the president's name is, it will always be imperfect. Because we are imperfect people, and we miss the mark. But there can be a desire and a hunger for God, among the people of God. And, and it begins with us. It doesn't, it doesn't, it isn't going to get better when the pagans stop doing pagan things. The, it'll happen, it'll change. The, there'll be a revival when the people of God seek the face of God and ask, where is the Lord? And when there's a revival among the people of God, there could be a revival in the land. It doesn't happen the other way around. If we don't get under a burden, it's not going to happen. If we don't seek the Lord, they're certainly not going to seek the Lord. But our culture is shaped more and more, not by Christian, not by Judaic Christian values, but by secular progressive values. And we see it happening all around us. And we wring our hands and we shake our heads. And this is the truth of the matter. But it's been that way, it's been that way for the longest of times. 
Look, Paul, I mean, Paul writes about this kind of thought process in the book of Romans, in the, in the very first chapter of the book of Romans. I'm just going to lift out some verses for you. And this is so true. This, is, this, is, this was true 2,000 years ago. It's true today. I'm going to start at verse 21. For although they knew God, there's hardly a person on the planet who doesn't know who Yahweh is, who God is, who is the God of the Bible. I don't mean they know him personally. They know about him. For although they knew God, now he's talking particularly of, of the people of God, they neither glorified him nor gave God thanks. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men, being like beings like birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. For the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged, listen, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 28 of that first chapter. Therefore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Now we're talking about ancient paths. The ancient paths are the way of the Lord, which are embedded, which are inscribed, which are written for us in this book. So you need to be a people of the book. They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So this is God's response. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. The last verse, the last part of this verse. They not only continue to do these things, which he names, which I just named some of them. The very things, not only do they continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Now, there's no question, in my opinion, that we have made progress in our, in our general culture in some ways, and not so much in other ways. For example, women, you can vote. There was a time where you couldn't vote. I would say that's progress. Not everyone would agree with me with that, but if I could get an amen from a woman somewhere, that might be, you know... You're not, just, you're not considered property anymore. You, you have equal standing before the law. You have a voice. You have a vote. And I would say that's progress. We have, uh, we have uh, uh, moved forward in, in civil rights. Uh, African Americans no longer have to sit at the back of the bus. They no longer have to go to a different drinking fountain. They never have to go to a different bathroom. They can go wherever you and I go as whites. So I would say we've made progress in, in that area. That we, we've moved forward in that. Not only that, but child labor laws. I don't know if you, what it was like in the, in the first part of the, of, the, of, the, of the previous century, in the 1900s, child, child labor, and it still takes place in many places of the world. Little children working in factories, doing hard labor. I would say we've made progress in those kinds of things, and, and that's a good thing. Nevertheless, there are, there are some very bad things that have taken place in our culture, and social norms have shifted, and, and everything is not helpful and, and not good. 
And we have made decisions in our, in our land, among our, our legislatures, in our, in our politics that, that have led to a culture of death and destruction. You can mark it down. Whenever the ways of the Lord are turned away from, behind it is a path of destruction and death. That's just what happens. It isn't like God says, okay, you're going to die. It's just that that's where that road goes. It's just, it's just, it's not like God's an ogre sitting up in the, in, in the sky, zapping people. It's like, if I'm going to eat, and I know it seems, seems trivial, but it helps make the point. If I'm going to eat cake and ice cream and candy all day long, it isn't like God says, okay, you do that, you're going to get sick. That's what that does. It makes me sick. So when we don't follow the ways of the Lord, there's death and destruction that follow behind it. It's just axiomatic. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but it will follow. It will follow. But it follows long enough so people think they're getting by with it. But you're not going to get by with it. You're not going to get by with it. Either in the personal life, in the church, or in the culture. We'll pay the price. You can't slide down the banister of life backwards and not get splinter. The soul that sins, it will die. That's true then, is true now. But for the grace of God. So particularly over the last 60 years, there's been a real change and a steady decline in a, 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 a Judaic Christian moral culture in which we live in. In fact, if, if you hold to a Judaic Christian understanding of life, you now, you now are the problem. You are the closed-minded person. You are the bigot. You are the judgmental person and closed-minded. Our culture says we will not live in the old paths. We will make for ourselves new paths. And the prophet cries out to us, seek out the old paths and live. Now, lest in case you misunderstand, when I say, when I say and encourage us that we will live out the old paths, I'm not talking about methodologies and I'm not talking about technology and those kinds of things or the process of what we call modernity. The process of modernity is just the process where, where culture begins to shift and change uh, as, as technology increases and shifts and change. For example, there was a time when maybe you would have to walk to church, but if you were fortunate enough to have a horse, you might have driven a horse to church. And if you're a little bit wealthy, you may have been able to get a Model T Ford, but if you weren't, then you, know, you walked or you rode your horse or Whatever, but, but most of, no one in here arrived at church today on a horse, did you? I think all of you drove in cars or trucks. It's the process of modernity. It's just what happens. I mean, imagine, imagine if you had to uh, carry about a 15-pound stone, and that's what you brought that to church, a 15-pound, 20-pound stone. And on that stone was chiseled your favorite Bible verses. And that's how you had to read the Bible, on a 15, 20-pound stone. And on that stone was chiseled maybe one page out of the book of Timothy. But you couldn't bring the whole Bible because it might weigh 1,000 pounds because it was chiseled out of stone. But then a day arrived where uh, uh, they, they, that was a printing, a printing press, and they figured out that you didn't have to have a, a papyrus and you didn't have to have a stone. You, you could use paper. You, we could make pulp and we could make paper. We could take black ink or red ink or blue ink and, and we could press it on paper and we could put the whole Bible in, in a book. And we carried that book around. And, and, and today, now look, what, well, look at the ridiculous things we have today. I mean, look at it. I mean, I have the world's library in my back pocket. 
I have the whole Bible on one app on my phone, which is so small, I can't even see it. I mean the actual digital material. I can push the button. Now, I don't know how they do it, but it, it brings whatever, I, whatever text, whatever, bi, whatever Bible version right up on my phone. That's the process of modernity. I'm not talking about that. Maybe, maybe you would like to have... Now, forgive me, I'm not trying to be crass. I'm just trying to make the point. Maybe you would prefer to walk out into the woods, out to the outhouse to take care of business, but instead of going into your home, some nice room. It's the process of modernity. Aren't you glad for indoor plumbing? Aren't you glad for the day that you got indoor plumbing at your house? Y'all are that old, right? Hey, hey, I've been in places in my lifetime... In my lifetime, or it hadn't, hadn't arose, arose, arisen yet, hasn't, hasn't arrived yet, and it wasn't good. So I'm not talking about the process of modernity. And sometimes we, we complain about that. For instance, like for, one of the big things in churches is, is uh, I, want, I want to sing out of a book, or I want to look at a screen. That's what I'm talking about, that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. See, and it makes the point. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. That's just technology and the process of modernity. And sometimes it's bothersome, but it's, 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 it's what is, it's what happens. Another case in point, I thought about this, and I don't mean to belabor the point, but I am belaboring the point. When I, I, was, I was speaking to somebody yesterday, or maybe it was this morning, that uh, when I was uh, in elementary school, high school, we had music on vinyl disc. And that was pretty good. And then, and then someone figured out that you could put it on tape. And we had these things called cassette tapes or reel-to-reel tapes. And we thought we, the world was really changing. And then it really got sophisticated when someone figured out you could take a much smaller disc, and, and, and it's called a CD, and you could put a bunch of material on that CD. And then somebody figured out, hey, not only we could put this on mobile stuff, and so we had Walkmans. How many of you had, when you went walking with a cassette in a Walkman, and you had a set of earphones? And then somebody said, wait, we don't have to do all that. You don't have this biggy, bulky thing, big, bulky thing. We could put it on a little tube, two-inch squared, little, you know, quarter-inch thick thing called an iPod. And it went, well, no, you don't even have to do that. Now we just put it on your phone. So I have the world's library of music on my phone. See, that's just the process of modernity. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about whether you have to carry around a 40-pound scroll that's been written on or you use digital technology. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about world views and how we interpret the world and what informs our decisions about our interpretation of the world. That's what I'm talking about. And there are various worldviews that you and I need to be aware of, and I don't have time to go into them this morning other than to name them, maybe speak on one of them for three minutes and move on. Because it's too complicated, it's too deep, and it would take a series of sermons to go through them, and it would kind of bore you. But, but we make decisions uh, in life and how to handle life and what to do about life, things like like uh, abortion or euthanasia or same-sex marriage or the environment or, or economic policy and education. We make decisions about these kinds of things based on our worldview, how we interpret the world. And if you have a, a world-driven system that drives your thinking, how you process information in the world and how you, the lenses that you look through to interpret the world, then you're not going to see it as God sees it. 
You're just not. You will do what is right in your own eyes. And, and in the Bible, when it talks about that, it says, and there are dark days when people do what is right in their own eyes. So there's things called, and I'm just going to name some, and I, I challenge you to maybe jot these down or make a mental note. Uh, uh, naturalism, I don't have time to explain all that. Secular humanism, communism, Marxism, pantheism, pluralism, moral relativism. And there are people who make decisions about morality and about life uh, and about significant issues of life based on these various uh, schools of thought. And all of them that I just mentioned, all of them are antithetical to a biblical worldview. They, they are not harmonious with the word of the Lord. But there is one I want to take just a little bit more time, and I won't be long because I don't have that kind of time, but there's one that you really, really need to know about that is really, really coming to the fore in these recent days. Now, it actually started around the turn of the previous century, just beginning to take root in, in philosophical thinking, particularly in Germany and in France. But it began to take shape. And, uh, and then around the, the 30s, it began to make its way into academia in the United States. And then in the, in the 50s and the 70s, it really, it really blossomed into full-bore explosion, particularly on the university campuses. And you want to know why people who are 30, uh, no, let, me, let me make that different, people who are 40 and below process the world completely different than you do? Largely, or for many of you, largely because they have been, what's the word, indoctrinated. Indoctrinated. They are taught from, from elementary school to, to, uh, to, to high school, to college, to the university, a framework, a, a way of interpreting the world that is not a biblical worldview. And it is called postmodernism. You need to research that. You need to know what it is because your grandchildren are being trained by that philosophy. And this is a sad thing. They, they have it on TV. I'm going to say all day long. I recognize that's hyperbole. They're not in front of the TV all along, but they're there. And it's on their programming. It's in their, it's in their cartoons. It's in their, it's in their sitcoms. And day after day, they are indoctrinated with a postmodern worldview. And we're lucky we're lucky if they get two hours of biblical training in a month's time. You think about that. Why do you think we're losing our culture? It's because our children are not being taught the scriptures. They don't even know what a biblical worldview is. They couldn't identify it. And the world is preaching at them all day long. Both at home, on, in their games, and on their TV, and at school, uh, and many times it's veiled and it's not named. They don't say, now today we're going to teach you postmodernism. They don't do that. They just teach them the tenets of it. And this is, I, just, I only have a moment just to scratch it, but I'll give you a resource in just a moment, which I think is really good and it'll really help you far more than what I could do. But one of its basic tenets, and this is why we, we get, we, when, when we who are past 40, we, we look at our young people and we go, what is wrong with them? Why do they not understand? Why do they not get it? Why are they making those decisions? Why are they making those judgments? And we just shake our heads. And it's because the basic, when you boil it down, it, it, it is a what we call, um, or what is called, a, a, a methodology of deconstructing, deconstructing 
everything. Deconstructing everything. From literature to science to education to economic systems. Deconstruct everything. And what you, what you do when you deconstruct it, you find the flaws in it. And you point those out. And what, what the outcome of that is, is that every human system, when you deconstruct it, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a church, whether it's an economic system, whether it's a government, every one of them are, have flaws in them, including you and me. Because we're, we're mere mortal creatures, and we miss the mark. So we deconstruct everything to nothing. And this is important. We deconstruct, our culture deconstructs everything to nothing so that you can have, because we recognize that, there are multiple ways to interpret anything. And that's absolutely true. There are multiple ways. That's why the, the prophets cry out. Seek the old path because there's other paths. There's other voices. And you can listen to those voices. You can take those other paths. So the word of the Lord comes and says, seek me and live. There are paths that might make sense to you. But they are not my paths. They are not my ways. Your ways are not my ways. Seek my ways and you will live. So postmodernism breaks it all down to nothing. It says, listen, there are 15 different ways. There's 100 different ways to interpret what you just said. And there is. And listen, the enemy, the devil, is much craftier than you are. He's been around a few more thousand years and crafted his arguments. And he can tear your little arguments to pieces. If you are not rooted and grounded in the scriptures, even Jesus didn't do a one-on-one -on -one with the devil. He just said, the word says. This is what is written. And this is what we as the people of God need to understand. This is what is written. There are certain places in the world you say that you're dead. Literally, I mean, not in a figurative sense, literally dead. And it may come to that. If, our call, if we don't have a revival, if the church in America doesn't have a revival, it may come to that. Not tomorrow, not next week, maybe not in five years, but in 20 years it could be that. Or at least in a way to a, what they have it back in, the, in, in this old Soviet, in the old, old uh, um, re-education camps. May not kill you, but if you won't, if you won't, if you won't give in a re Re, uh, in a, uh, edu a new education camp, then you go to a concentration camp and you make license plates or chop block or bust stones until you die. You say, well, that's foolish. Well, it wasn't that foolish 70 years ago because about 6 million Jews were killed and Poles and others. And it wasn't that long ago in your lifetime. And, and no one knows, well, we have an idea just how debased the human person can be apart from God. So it deconstructs everything so that nothing has meaning. Nothing has real meaning. So there's multiple truths, and so you can have your truth, and I'll have my truth. Well, that's your truth, and not my truth. They don't recognize a truth. So you can do whatever you want to do. There's no better idea. There are ideas, but there's not a better idea. There's no objective reality. There's no, there's no overarching, what I call, what, we, what, what, what might be called a meta-narrative or an overarching narrative. 
See, as, as believers, as Christ followers, as Christians, we believe that there is an overarching narrative to being in the world, which is called a meta-narrative. It's an overarching story, and the overarching story is that God created the heavens and the earth and sin entered into the world, and God has from that moment been trying to rescue the world from the perishing that is coming. That's an overarching narrative story. In the postmodern world, there is no such thing as that. There's just ideas, your idea, my idea, your truth, your truth, my truth. So there's nothing. There's no facts, there's no logic, there's no reason, and there's no truth. And there's no idea better than any, about any other idea. So, if that's the case, and our young people are taught that day after day after day, relative, moral relativism, pluralism, your religion's not any better than anybody else's religion, so we can't identify what is truth. It's the most important question. It's the question that Pilate asked Jesus. What is the truth? And he turned around, walked away from he who had the truth and committed one of the most horrific sins ever committed on the planet, the death of the Son of God. So there are no objective facts or logic. Oh, there's so much. I'm going to have to just skip some stuff. So we can't. So because there is no truth and there is no, 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 no a firm moral base in which to uh, from which to make judgments, we, we can't identify a baby's gender. We have to wait several years until the baby has some cognitive skills to identify his or her own gender, notwithstanding what the biology says. Literally, this is where this is, where, this is why you see what you see. This is where this goes. You can't identify sexual norms. You can't, you can't do that. Because there are no sexual norms. Everybody does whatever they want to do. Because there is no right and wrong. There's no moral basis from which to make those kinds of decisions. Otherwise, you're, you're a bigot or something else. So the practice of polygamy or pedophilia or any other kinds of what we might call perversions are acceptable and can and, can, and will become normal. It's where it goes. When you take away the foundation, there's nothing else to stand on. So, so because of that, now we don't know which bathroom to go to. Literally, that's a discussion. Which bathroom do you go to? Because we can't identify sex, sex based on biology. You can't identify marriage because marriage is whatever. Who, who said marriage has to be between a man and a woman? That's archaic. That's old. That's no longer relevant. Notwithstanding what the Lord says, notwithstanding what the Scripture says, so we make up our own definition of marriage. So if, it's a, if a man wants to marry his two dogs, so be it. Who's, who's, who is to say he can't do that? Who gives you authority to do that? So three women can get married, or four men can get married, or two men can get married, or two women can get married, or three women can get married, because marriage is whatever you want it to be, notwithstanding what the word of the Lord says. So you, you, you see why, why we are where we are. And you what, look at the news and you go, what in the world? It's because, it's because the moral base which gave, which gave foundational structures to, to cultures for hundreds of years has been jerked out through, through postmodernism thinking and teaching and particularly in the studies of humanities in the universities. Because they attack all these things and young people come out not knowing what the truth is. Because they've been told there, there is no truth. Now, there's much more that can be said about that. But Ravi Zacharias, how many of you have heard of Ravi Zacharias? 
Okay, Ravi Zacharias has a, a, a wonderful teaching on postmodernism on YouTube. Just remember that name, YouTube, Ravi Zacharias, postmodernism. And he spends about 55 minutes just on that subject. So you can see why I can't give a full-bore presentation on it this morning. It takes a while. But I'm trying to show you that there are paths to take. And the script, the prophet stands amongst us and says, seek the old paths, because the old paths have been hammered out through the prophets of the Lord, through the, through the scriptures, and for thousands and thousands of years they've been, they've been hewn out and they have been written down in, in various forms and in, and in oral tradition and in, and, and, in, and, and in scrolls and in print and even on stone. This is the way that the world works. The ways of the Lord, and they are written in the word of the Lord. And if we don't pay attention to this, if we're not rooted and grounded in this, we will make up our own way. And it can be guaranteed, it will be a way of delusion, of death, and of destruction. There will be a horrible price to pay. Now, it ain't going to come next year, it might not come the year after. But within a lifetime or so, there will be... a payment to be made. Now God has put into what, what, might, what might be called natural law, this thing that kills bad ideas. You think about all the systems that have existed before. They've all gone the way of history. Because God has built into the system a process that kills bad ideas. Bad ideas kill things. So postmodernism will give way to another system at some point because the carnage that it leaves will be so overwhelming that humanity will look at it and go, that's terrible. Just like communism. It heaped up so many bodies over the previous century thousands upon thousands, of, no, millions and millions and millions of dead bodies so that you have to look around the world and who's following communism has generally been, been discarded because how many bodies do you need to pile up before you say, okay, that's probably not good. So, holy words long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Words of life, words of hope. Give us strength, help us cope. In this world, wherever we roam, ancient words will guide us home. Well, Grandma and Grandpa, you do know something after all. You might not be able to program your new smartphone. <laughs> or, 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 or set up your new smart TV and you have to call your 22-year-old grandson or granddaughter and they do it in five minutes and you go, what's wrong with me? But you do know the ancient paths. You've lived long enough to know what works and what don't work. So now you have to live it out and you have to be light shining in the darkness that young people can see that and choose to follow the old paths. Let us stand.
Martin Luther said, although this world with devils filled would threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God is near. And he goes on to say one little word from God will thwart the enemy. Our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to pulling down strongholds. If revival can break out a ferventness, an earnestness, a passion for the things of God among the people of God, we are the salt and the light. And if we lose our light and we lose our saltiness, the world system takes over. So Lord, help us as your people in graceful ways, in loving kindness kinds of ways, to let our light so shine before the men and women of the earth that they may see our good life and the fruit of it and glorify our Father who is in heaven that might move them to choose the ancient words and the old paths that lead to life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Central Church today. If you'd like to get involved, please visit us at centralnazarene.org.